Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. Uh, we're going to take a little pause in things and we're going to defer our study in the book of Revelation. And we're going to begin studies in the Gospel of Mark. Now, before we begin our studies in the book of Mark, several things I want to say. And I don't want to be an alarmist, but it could be that when we do study Revelation, it could be that the 70th week of Daniel will have begun. Uh, understand that today there are major, major nations, a conglomeration of nations calling for peace in the Middle East, uh, calling for a two-state solution, calling for peace with Israel and the Palestinians. And, you know, the day that this coming peace agreement and this covenant with many it officially begins the, 70, the, the 70th week of Daniel, but the seven-year clock for the end of world history as we know it. It officially begins, but in that seven-year window, there are markers that will indicate that the peace agreement is the specific one prophesied in the Bible. Because, I mean, you look at past peace agreements like the, the Oslo Accords, for example. Now, at the time... Christians were wondering, you know, is this it? Is this it? And some pastors were telling the congregation, yes, this is it. This is it. But there were precursory signals that made it very improbable at that time. And when you count year one and account for events and year two and account for events and year three and account for events, there must be the conclusion you know, like, okay, this is not it. Like the Oslo Accords. Okay, there's the signing. And then, you know, once the signing happens, year one, year two, year three, always accounting for events. And then the conclusion is made, okay, this, this wasn't it. And then, you know, all these agreements that have happened with Israel and the Palestinians and prior pre peace agreements, what happened is that it involved a very small group of nations, often just one sponsor, such as the United States with the Oslo Accords, and, you know, a small group of nations. But presently, 2023 AD, there's a global leadership void today. And look at how the world is changing. Nations coming together, nations vying for power, nations forming alliances, monetary systems shifting, power centers are shifting, and what's happening is that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. The rise of Magog, Magog nations forming together, coming together in these alliances that have been prophesied in the Bible. And what's happening is that these calls for peace that we presently see it's multiple nations. It's it's and powerful nations. This is is is. It's not like you know small countries. There are small countries involved, but these are major heavy hitters. And these multiple nations, there's a very high degree of probability accounting for precursory signals from the Bible. A very 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 high degree of probability that we could soon be facing the beginning of the end, the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. And I don't want to be an alarmist for the sake of being an alarmist, but the signals for alarm are here. And, you know, 
I like to think of a road trip, you know, like say, for example, you and me, we're in Topeka, Kansas, and we're going to take a road trip to the California coast. We're going to go to Malibu where the cliffs are and it's beautiful, beautiful scenery. Well, you know, if if you're driving and I'm in the passenger seat and we're five miles deep into our trip and we're still in Topeka. And then if I start screaming and shouting, you know, watch out for the cliffs, watch out for the cliffs. We're going to fly into the ocean. Well, number one, I would be crazy. And then number two, if you hit the brakes because of the cliffs, you would be crazy because we're only five miles in. We're, we're still in Topeka. But, 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 if we're well into the trip and the cliffs in Malibu are a mile away and then a thousand yards away and then 500 yards away and then 200 yards away and you're still driving at speeds of 80 miles per hour well for me not to scream would be crazy and for you not to hit the brakes would be crazy and so you see timing necessitates urgency you see, and it's very important to understand the prophecies because right now you have a lot of Christians who believe and hope in a pre-tribulation rapture. And what's happening is that they're deceived. But now what's it's, it's deeper than deception. I mean, it, 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 it's deeper than just like a surface level of deception because now what's happening is it's reaching levels of strong delusion. And what does the Bible say about strong delusion? That's judgment, you see? And where does the Bible tell us that judgment begins? The church. And if you're listening and you're presently, currently, if you're listening and you currently believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, I don't want to lord over your faith in any way, shape, or form, but I will say this. Go and listen to our studies on the rapture thewayunderground.com. Go there and go to the prophecy area and click on rapture and then go and listen to those studies. Our studies through uh, uh, the uh, first Thessalonians and second Thessalonians. And you might conclude that, you know, you know, this guy's crazy, you know, they, they're crazy. And that's fine. That's fine. Or you might conclude that you've been taught wrong. It's very important for all of us, all of us, that we have an understanding of what the Bible teaches because it pertains to this life and the life to come. It's not a time to play games with the Lord. And I don't want to suggest that there ever was a time to be lukewarm because the Bible warns against that. But now more than ever, we have to be right with the Lord. We have to be clean before the Lord. Every single one of us, you and me, clean before our Lord Jesus and clean before our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. And so we're going to hold off a little on our study in the book of Revelation. And we're, we're going to begin our study in the gospel of Mark. And praise be to the Lord, because <clears throat> what we're going to see is titans. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, titans such as James and Peter and John, we're going to see them as babies, new believers. And what an encouragement for all of us, you know, how, you know, we too can grow in the Lord, falling deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him, having gifts of the spirit, 
our faith being perfected. And these are things that happen in the course of time. When you and me, when we stay the course, the narrow path. And I'm so in love with Brother Mark because his writings are like cliff notes. <laughs> no offense to Brother Mark or the other gospel writers, but Brother Mark has the fewest words compared to the other gospel writers. And not too much is known about Mark. And I'm so in love with him. You know, I can't wait to meet him because, you know, you're going to see like, wow, these really are cliff notes. You know, he, he kind of breaks, breaks things down a little bit, but at the same time, he's just a, a man of few words. And before we get started in our study in the Gospel of Mark, something I want to say. In the Gospels, in the Gospels, there are deviations from manuscripts and a lot of mockers and scoffers many of them from we'll say liberal seminaries and liberal bible colleges what happens is that they use those deviations as an excuse to excuse their own deviation from obedience to the word of god and for those individuals if you're listening if you're listening, we have to have an understanding of majority texts and Texas Receptus and what is written in the epistles, particularly Paul's writings. And then also what our Lord says to Pontius Pilate, where remember Pilate, he says to Jesus, I have the power to free you. And Jesus responds, he says, you have no power over me. You have no power over me except that which has been given to you by my Father. I meant to, to assume that mankind has power over Jesus. I meant, since we know the Word became flesh, it's a big mistake. It's a mistake of those who perish. And so if you're listening and you're one of these mockers and scoffers and among the liberal sect, we'll say, of what perhaps you assume to be Christianity and, you know, of these sects. Many are Lutheran and Methodist and Episcopal, more liberal brands of theology. And what I say is this, if that is you, repent, repent, and come out of her, my people, because there's only one way, one way, very specific, very easy, but very intricate. There's only one way, and that's the journey of the remnant. Very important to understand. And so, turn with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1. We begin our study in the book of Mark. And here we see in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we'll say this in the Greek. You know, that using translations from the Greek, the commencement, the commencement of the gospel or good message or good news as preached, declared and shown of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. It's the commencement as it is written in verse two, as it is written in the prophets. You see, what's so beautiful is that Brother Mark, what he does is he quotes Malachi and Isaiah. And this is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And the commencement of the good news, it starts with John the Baptist. 
And we see in verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And crying in the wilderness is, in the Greek, is to shout in a tumultuous way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Remember, timing necessitates urgency. And we see in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You see, brother John, not John the apostle, John the Baptist, the other John. The prophecy is that he will prepare the way of the Messiah. But in fulfillment, he's shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And there seems to be a disconnect. There seems to be. Because the prophecy is that John will prepare the way. And in fulfillment, John is shouting, you do it. And in the Greek, we see something deeper. In the Greek, John, when he said, when he's, he, he's, he's shouting in the wilderness, prepare how it translates, prepare and be ready for the way and journey of the Lord. Make his worn path and beaten way straight and true. That's a more accurate translation in the Greek. Prepare and be ready for the way and journey of the Lord. Make his worn path and beaten way straight and true. You see, Brother John, John the Baptist, he's absolutely fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah and Malachi. And in so doing, there is an aspect of John shouting, you do it, you do it, because the urging is for the hearers. The hearers. The urging is for the hearers to make the Lord's way straight and true in them, in their hearts, in their minds. It's very important to understand because the same applies to you and me. You know, for you and me to make the Lord's ways straight and true in our hearts and in our minds. It's very important for us to know this and to remember because in the book of Mark, what's going to happen, and not just the book of Mark, the gospels and the epistles, we're going to see Jesus speak. And, you know, in the case of the epistles, you know, when the apostles speak, but we're going to see Jesus speak in the book of Mark and some people dismiss him while others receive him. You see? And those with ears to hear and eyes to see, they receive him. And, you know, even when the apostles speak, you know, when we study the book of Acts, and if you've been walking with us for a while, you might remember our study in the book of Acts. These are things that we see happen in the church in the book of Acts. And the apostles' letters to the churches where some dismiss and some receive the message. You see, and it's the same today. Some dismiss and some receive. And it's important for us to understand this. And I don't say, you know, some dismiss and some receive. I don't say that in a Calvinistic sense because that's unbiblical. But I say it in a visitation sense. Remember our study through 1 Peter chapter 2? 
I mean, if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study through 1 Peter chapter 2, and you'll understand more when we say how some dismiss and some receive. It is said in the visitation sense. And so in fulfillment of Isaiah and Malachi, we see in verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, this was a big deal in the era of uh, the, the, the book of Acts. Now, we're not in the book of Acts just yet. We're in Mark. But in the book of Acts, what was happening is that there were a lot of believers who only knew the baptism of John, which is the baptism of repentance. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was something new. It's for a people of the new covenant. And we see this commencement unto believers in Acts chapter 2. When I say commencement, I'm not speaking of the commencement of what Mark is writing about. I'm speaking of the commencement of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see it in Acts chapter 2 after the death of Jesus after the death of Jesus. Remember, when the tomb was empty, Mary, when she discovered that it was Jesus who was there, Mary wanted to hold on to Jesus. And how beautiful that is. It's not a bad thing, the desire to hold on to Jesus. It's beautiful. It's lovely. But Jesus tells her, he says, Mary, you gotta let me go. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. Mary, you gotta let me go because I'm going to ascend to my Father and send the Holy Spirit. You see, understand, we serve a God of order. There is an order of things that are happening, beautiful things that are happening. And so Brother John, not the apostle, John the Baptist, he's preaching in the wilderness In verse 5, we see this. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. This This is incredible what we see happening here. It's so beautiful because, you know, this is something we make mention of quite a bit. You know, in our study in Leviticus, remember, Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan? Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan. Now, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, well, what is this? Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan. Go and listen to our study in Leviticus. It's very important. The baptism of repentance and remission of sins. What's happening is John the Baptist is proclaiming, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up because it's the baptism of, uh, of uh, repentance and the remission of sins. Now, It's just like we mentioned in our Wednesday study. It just so happens. It just so happens. Because understand, there is a priesthood at this particular juncture in the Mark chapter 1 era. There is a priesthood. There is the religious establishment. But there's a problem. They're defunct. They're defunct, just like we see see in uh, 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 1 Samuel chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. I mean, if you're listening and you haven't been walking with us for a while, go and listen to our study through 1 Samuel, where we're at so far, 1 Samuel chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, because you'll understand a whole lot more. There is a religious establishment. There is a priesthood. But the problem is that they're blind and deaf. They're defunct. It's very important to also understand that with John the Baptist, 
mama and papa of Brother John, John the Baptist, they're of a very, very special lineage. Very special. And this is something that is we see and we see that it's verified in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and 1 Chronicles 24, verse 10, where we see in 1 Chronicles, go and, turn really quick to 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 19. In 1 Chronicles 24, verse 19, service for coming into the house of the Lord according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father. As the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. Very important to understand. And go and look in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. You'll see that this is a very, very special lineage of John the Baptist. And the religious establishment, what they did is that they dismissed Brother John as, oh, he's just a crazy guy. But his lineage is of Aaron. Lineage of the priesthood, like straight up high priests. And in fulfillment of the prophets, what John the Baptist is doing is he's proclaiming a very special message of good news. You say, okay, okay. So if John the Baptist is getting people cleaned up, where's the sacrifice? Hold on. He's coming. He's coming. Because the sacrifice is Jesus. And we see in verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. So notice what we see. If you remember our study in Leviticus, he has a physical covering, a physical, 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 a physical covering that is unclean. And yet he's consuming what is clean. Picture that. Picture that for a moment. I mean, say we're Pharisees. Say you and me are Pharisees at this particular moment in time in the Mark chapter 1 era. Say you and me were Pharisees and we go out in the wilderness to find out what all this hullabaloo is about. And we see, who is this guy? Is that? Is that who I think it is? And I look at you and you say, you know what? That's the son of Zacharias. What in the world is happening? And then you say, what? Is, is he wearing camel's hair? And we're just astonished. Like what? That, that's unclean. But he's eating locusts and honey. So he's wearing what is unclean and he's eating what is clean. And we straight up wonder, like, what in the world is happening? Now, before you think, like, why, why, why is this guy saying, you know, pretend we're Pharisees? Don't forget, some Pharisees did become believers. And this is something we see in the book of Acts, where some Pharisees did become believers. It wasn't the masses of the Pharisees, but some did come to believe and praise be to the Lord. And so about Brother John, look at verse 7. And he preached, saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. You see what's happening? People were coming to John. The baptism of repentance and remission of sins, and it's so beautiful and so glorious. The people, they were skipping the priesthood. 
They weren't going to the religious establishment. They were going to John the Baptist. They were skipping the priesthood. And notice, going to John the Baptist, they're still in the lineage of Aaron. Very important to understand. And who they sought, John, he tells them there is one who will come. And look at John's humility, his sandal strap. John says, I'm not worthy to loose. Whoa. The people, the masses, they were coming to John the Baptist. He's at the Jordan River, you know, baptizing for the remission of sins. And he's baptizing and all these people come to him. And, you know, he doesn't say, oh, look at me, look at me. I'm an influencer. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Follow me, follow me, hit the subscribe button. He doesn't say, here, buy my books, buy my t-shirts. He doesn't say, for your love gift of 50 bucks, I'll say a special prayer for you. You don't see that. Because in qualified messengers, you won't see what is carnal. What you will see is humility. I'm nothing. That's what you'll see. John says, I'm not worthy to loose his sandals. Brother Paul says, I'm trash. I'm the scum of the world. But of these vessels of the Lord, they'll point to Jesus and say, of Jesus? He's everything. He's everything. And that's what we see here in John the Baptist. He says, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. And he says in verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just like we mentioned earlier, when Mary saw the empty tomb and realized it was Jesus, she holds on to him and praise be to the Lord. But Jesus tells her, no, 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 no. You got to let go, Mary. You got to let go because I have not yet ascended to my father. Remember, he told the disciples, when I ascend to my father, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the paracletus, the helper. You see? And John the Baptist, he says, yes, in verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but of the Lord, but of he, the coming one, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, remember verse 1, the commencement of the good news? In verse 10, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit depend, descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Whoa. Immediately in verse 12, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now, you see what I mean by Brother Mark and his cliff notes? Because, you know, in verse 12 and 13, a lot happens in that time in the wilderness. And, you know, not to knock him in any way, not to knock Brother Mark in any way. Because his letter and account is captured in the canon of Scripture, included in the Word, which became flesh. 
And his intimacy with Jesus is so beautiful. But I I have a fondness for his writings, a fondness for his cliff notes. And I can't wait to hug him. But yeah, we look at verse 12 and verse 13, that immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. But then you look at other writings, the other gospels, and it's like, whoa, a lot happens here. And yet brother Mark, brother Mark captured in the canon of scripture, the praise be to the Lord. And we see in verse 14, now after John was put in prison, you see more cliff notes. Brother John, John the Baptist is in prison. And we just see how Mark just, you know, it's like, you know, you look at verse 12 and 13. It's like, well, a lot happens in the wilderness. You look at verse 14, how John is in prison. Now it's like, well, wait a second. Like, what happened? We know that John the Baptist is a qualified messenger, prophesied messenger. Prophesied of Isaiah and Malachi, to name a few. But understand, there's something also seen in qualified messengers. Along with humility, there is also a boldness. And along with that, there is also a ruffling of feathers. Because not everyone will like such people. The remnant will cherish such people. I mean, John the Baptist... I'm in love with him. You know, you look at Peter. I'm in love with him. Paul, I'm so in love with him. The remnant will cherish such people. But the wicked and those who are perishing will hate them. And this is very important for us to understand in our study in Scripture. Because you're going to see, you know, terrible things happen to John. I mean, now he's in prison. Terrible things happen to our Lord himself. Terrible things happen to Brother Peter. Terrible things happen to Brother Paul. Terrible things happen to the church in the book of Acts. Terrible things happen and we have to understand that in our studies, we have to understand as we count the cost because in our own lives, when we count the cost, Understand that those who are perishing will hate you. Those who are perishing do hate you. Remember in our study in the book of Jude, you know, making the distinction. Very important for us to understand because the days that we presently live in, they're growing more evil. They're becoming darker and darker and darker and darker and darker and darker, more evil and evil and evil. And it's palpable. It's getting worse. And then you see people, they try to fake the funk a little bit and, you know, hey, you know, let's be happy. Let's not focus on the bad. Let's be, you know, let's focus on what is nice. Let's focus on what is good. But the Bible prophesies that in the last days, it's a time of sorrows. Amen. What is there to be happy about when salt has lost its flavor? You see, it's a time of sorrows. And not sorrow, singular, sorrows, plural. What is there to be happy about when, you know, saints are becoming apostate? 
when there's a defection away from truth. And don't forget that, yes, we have joy in the Lord, but the joy of the Lord is a joy that is from the Lord. Remember the writings of Brother James? Very important to understand when Brother James says, listen, now's not a time for, you know, happiness and joy. He says, why? I'm paraphrasing, because the formula is wrong in you. Remember, you ask and you don't receive. And he says you ask and you don't receive because of you. The problem is not the Lord. The problem is you. Because you ask amiss, you see. And then he says, adulterers and adulteresses. Whoa, he's speaking to Christians, to believers, adulterers and adulteresses. And he says, first, you need to repent. You need to be right with the Lord. The formula has to be right. It's a time for mourning and weeping. And then the joy of the Lord comes because the joy of the Lord cannot be manufactured. You can't have a pastor at the pulpit, you know, telling jokes so that people can laugh because that's, you know, laughter that's going to go away in five seconds. Laughter that's going to go away in, you know, 10 seconds. But the joy of the Lord is a joy that is from the Lord. And the joy of the Lord has a very specific formula. You see? Very important to understand. And the persecution here in Mark chapter 1, we're not going to see persecution at the levels we're going to see at the end of the book of Mark. We're not going to see those levels of persecution right now, but we do see a little glimmer of it in John the Baptist because he's in prison now. And it's only going to get worse. And so we see in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, so the commencement has arrived. It's begun. The good news, the good message of a kingdom, not of man, the kingdom of God. Jesus is preaching now. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God in verse 15 and saying, the time is fulfilled. That time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, he says. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this message applies today. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. What's the good news? It's Jesus. God's love for you. And if you're listening right now and you're beginning to believe, if you're listening and you're not a believer, but yet the gears of faith are turning and you're beginning to believe, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ and follow those instructions and commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And then you come back and you listen and we grow together. We journey together. Very important. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. In verse 16, <clears throat> And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. You see, Brother Peter, 
Simon is Peter, just so you know. This is Brother Peter. I mean, there's Brother Andrew too, but I don't know him yet like I know Peter. And I'm so in love with Peter. I'm in love with Andrew too, but I just don't know him as well as Peter. And we see in verse 17, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You see, it's a work of the Lord. It's a work of the Lord. I will make you become fishers of men. He tells them it's a work of the Lord. Jesus, he's going to teach them. And immediately, they, they immediately left their nets and followed him. You see, brother Peter, such a titan in the faith. And here he is in Mark chapter one. He's just a baby. Here he is as a baby. And we see Brother Peter in the book of Acts. We see Brother Peter in uh, Paul's writings. And we see Brother Peter in Peter's own writings. Remember 1 Peter, 2 Peter. What happened with Peter? He moved on to perfection. Praise be to the Lord. He had some bumps along the way. But he finished well. He finished beautifully. He finished gloriously. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. In verse 19. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. You see, James and John, titans in the faith. And look, here we see them in Mark chapter 1, and they're little babies. They're little babies. They're beginning their walk with Jesus. I mean, don't forget, babies are beautiful. Beautiful. Babies are beautiful. The problem is when babies stay babies. That's ugly. That's ugly when babies stay babies because what happens is that it opens the door to wickedness. But when babies grow and mature in the faith, that's beautiful. We see it with Peter. We see it with John. We see it with James. We see it with Paul. Not Paul just yet in the Gospels, but we do see it with Paul. Very important to understand as encouragement for you and me so that you and me can move on and grow in Christ and lay aside the elementary things. Remember our study in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6? To move away from the elementary things and matriculate the same way a child goes from preschool to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, so that you and I can matriculate and grow and mature in the faith. You see, it's beautiful. If you're a new believer, if you, if, you know, you hear us say, you know, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ and you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you know, and you come back and you listen and you're like, wow, I'm a baby in Christ. Well, praise be to the Lord. Look, so is Peter here. So was James. So was John. They're babies too. Praise be to the Lord. Be encouraged. I mean, sometimes, you know, I talk with new believers and they're like, oh man, you know, I don't know the Bible like I should. It's like, what do you mean like you should? You just, you just became a believer two weeks ago. And, you know, look at what you know already in just two weeks. Be of good cheer. You're growing, you're maturing. Don't be discouraged. You know, sometimes, oh, I'm so discouraged because I don't know the Bible like this guy or this guy or this guy or this lady or this lady. And I don't know the Bible like that, but I want to. What's the same as like a, a first grader discouraged, like, oh man, I don't know calculus. I don't know calculus like this guy in college. I don't know calculus like this lady over here. I don't know chemistry like this lady over here. It's like, well, whoa, 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 hold on. 
It's not to say, well, you're just in first grade. It's to say, listen, understand, you're in first grade. You have to matriculate. You have to understand, master the things of first grade, and then second, third, fourth, fifth, and matriculate, and then learn chemistry, and then learn calculus, and then move on to perfection. If you're a baby in Christ, understand that babies are beautiful. But don't stay baby because, you know, when babies stay babies, that's ugly. I mean, you know, you see beautiful baby and they got their binky, they got their bottle, they got their milk bottle, they got the binky, they got the diapers, and it's so beautiful. They're so cute. They're just so adorable. It's so beautiful. But then you look at a 25-year-old in diapers, 25-year-old with a binky, 25-year-old with a bottle, 25-year-old saying goo goo gaga. That's just straight up ugly. You see? That's straight up ugly. It's not right. It's not natural. But for the baby, the freshly born baby, you know, like, you know, two weeks out of the womb, so precious. But even the natural world testifies of growth and maturity. You see? And when it comes to the faith... That was a problem in the church, a major problem in the church. Remember our study through the Corinthian letters? And we're going to get there eventually, you know, our next time around, we're going to get there. But if you've been walking with us for a while, you know and you remember these studies that we have in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you know, when babies stay babies. That's not a good thing because we see the separation, the remnant separating from the leaven. Very important to understand. And so we see in verse 20 here in Mark chapter 1. In verse 20. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Now picture that. Picture that. Jesus calls them when they're with their dad because we see James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and, you know, they're with their dad. And what happens is that they leave dad. Jesus calls them in verse 20. Immediately he called them, and you know what? They left their dad. You might look at, you know, what's happening here. You might look at it and think like, well, you know, wow, that's kind of cold. But it's something we speak about often. The better family. The better family. Because it's the family of faith. Heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus. What it is, it's the family of God. That's what it is. The better family. Not biological. Not biological, spiritual. And it's the same blood that flows through our spiritual veins. And what it is, it's the blood of Jesus. You see, the better family. Sometimes, you know, parents don't like it when I say that. Oh, you're breaking my family. You're breaking my family. It's like, what are you talking about? Look at here what's happening with James and John. They're leaving their father. They're leaving their biological father. And they're following Jesus. You see. The better family. Praise be to the Lord. And in verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum. 
And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You ever hear a pastor teach, but there never comes clarity to understanding? You hear a pastor teach and there never comes depth to understanding? And sometimes you hear pastors scream and shout and they're acting like they have authority. And when Jesus, when he began to teach, he goes into synagogue. And then when Jesus began to teach, the people were shocked. They were amazed. They were blown away. They were astonished. Because he taught as one having authority, but they didn't realize he is the authority. Look what happens in verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Very interesting. Very interesting what we see here in verse 23 because one might think, one might assume that the unclean spirits are exclusively among the drunkards and the prostitutes and the druggies, those given to pharmakia. But inside synagogue, we see what is unclean, the unclean spirits. We see demons. There was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out in verse 24, saying, he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Something very interesting we see of the demonic realm. You see singularity in one, but then influence of many. I mean, in one case, we see plurality of many, and I speak of the demon who calls himself Legion. But here we see one demon who says, I know who you are to Jesus. He says, I know who you are. He says that to Jesus, but then he says, let us alone. What have we to do with you? Understand that demons and demonic influence they don't want you near Jesus. They don't want anyone near Jesus. They don't want anyone near the real Jesus. They don't mind people having intimacy with a fake Jesus. They don't mind people having intimacy with an unbiblical Jesus. But they do take issue with the real Jesus. Don't forget... One of the signs of the last days. Sometimes, you know, Christians get mad because like, what are you talking about? You know, the fake Jesus, the unbiblical Jesus. What are you talking about? The real Jesus. One of the signs of the last days, what Jesus says is there will be many Christs, many Christs, you see, but there's only one real Jesus. There's only one real Jesus. And the word became flesh. His word is above his name. Very important. That's why doctrine is, I mean, one of many reasons why doctrine is a huge deal. Because you and me, we can have preconceived notions about anything and everything. But when you and me 
purpose in our heart and purpose in our lives for you and me together to yield to Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh. We can have preconceived notions about sex and drugs and alcohol and rock and roll, the whole nine yards. But once you and me start reading scripture and understanding the Bible, we start to realize, wow, Lord, you don't like, you know, being given over to this. You don't like it. This is unclean. This is unclean. And Lord, I repent. Lord, forgive me because I didn't know at the time, but now I know, Lord, forgive me. And what happens is that we grow, we mature in Christ as you and me together as we yield to the word of God. You see? And the Holy Spirit, that Paracletus, the helper, One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to go into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But the paracletus, the Holy Spirit, a seal unto believers, which is very specific. You know, there's a specific formula for that. There is a confidence that is, it's not a carnal confidence, but there is a confidence that is allotted only to the remnant. Only to the remnant. Remember our our studies in Paul's letters to the churches? One of the signs of the last days is many cries. And Christians get mad at me. What are you talking about a fake Jesus? What are you talking about, you know, an unbiblical Jesus? Why do you say that, you know, the, uh, uh, the fake Christ? It's one of the signs of the last days. What the real Jesus says, there's going to be many Christs. But understand, there's only one that is real. There's only one that is real. And the demons know exactly who the real Jesus is. Just like what we see here in verse 24. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the demons know. And demons and demonic influence in the last days, the Bible says, grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. It's something that we just studied in the book of Jude. Satan knows his time is short. The demons know their time is short. And so they're amping up their fight. I mean, one of the, you know, in in combat, in warfare, when, you know, you're fighting an enemy and you see there's an intensity of battle, the kind of the the, uh, uh, elements of warfare, you know, one of the signs of, you know, the, 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 the opposing force losing is that you see an intensity to their fight. It's kind of like their last ditch effort. And we see that in the demonic realm of what the Bible says. They know their time is short. They know they're going to lose. They know exactly where they're going to go. That there's, you know, a torment, the lake of fire. They know that they're going to the lake of fire. And the lake of fire, sometimes, why would a loving God even have a lake of fire? Understand, the lake of fire is for the demons, the fallen angels. It's for Satan. They're the ones that want to drag people to the lake of fire. 
But God so loves the world. God is the one who made the way for salvation. You see? He's not willing that any should perish. That's why he's long-suffering. He's long-suffering for you. If you're not a believer, he's long-suffering for you. Very important to understand because sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with non-believers and it usually starts out pretty, there's friction there. Not on my end, but on their end. You know, sometimes it's on my end because of what I stand firm in and, you know, they disagree with that. And some, sometimes there's a little friction off the, you know, right off the bat from the get. And it's, I'm not combative, you know, I, you know, I don't go, you know, like, you know, to argue with people for the sake of arguing, but if someone's going to pose these questions or, you know, like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you believe about this? I'm just going to flat out tell them. And there usually is that initial friction. Oh, you Christians believe this. You Christians believe this. And oh, it's you believe this way and this way. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone there, my friend. Where do you? Why do you say that I believe in this? Well, I went to church one time and the pastor said this and the pastor did that. And it's like, wait a second. Do you have beef with that? They say, yeah, absolutely. I have beef with that. I say, listen, I'm on board. I have beef with that too. But you're a Christian. This is what Christians are supposed to believe. No, listen, that's what the apostate believes. But that's not what the Bible says. That's what the apostate believes because they've defected away from truth. So to talk with the non-believer and say, listen, you have these preconceived notions about the Lord. You have these preconceived notions about God who so loves you. And these preconceived notions, you're basing it off the apostate. And you have beef with the apostate? Listen, I'm on board. I have issue with the apostate too. But understand, they're the apostate. Because the real Jesus, the real God, He loves you. He loves you. And He's the one who made a way and gave His only begotten Son. And sometimes, you know, to talk to these non-believers and they're like, whoa, I've never heard it broken down like that before. And sometimes, you know, I have, you know, the, the, these people in my lives, they're, they're non-believers. They don't believe and they even hate Christians. I mean, they're pretty adamant. Like, you know, I hate Christians, but, you know, if you're ever in a pinch, you know, give me a call and I'll help you out because you're different. And praise be to the Lord. You know, I pray for them because their day of visitation, I hope it's today, but it might be tomorrow. It might be next week. Should the Lord tarry. Praise be to the Lord. You see, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in Jesus Christ. But in so doing, you don't have to be a jerk. I don't have to be a jerk. We have to be wise to the times. Just like we see in our study in the book of Jude, you know, having a distinction, but on some having compassion. To rescue them as to the fire, hating even the flesh. The garment defiled by the flesh, remember? 
hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, but even still, it's the straight-up rescue mission. Very important to understand that in the demonic realm, they know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly. They know all about formula. Remember our study in the book of Acts with the seven sons of Siva? And how the demon says to them, he says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? You see? They were attempting to fight but they had no business in the fight. Just like we studied on Wednesday in our study in 1 Samuel. It just so happens. It just so happens. Israel going to war, but they have no business on the battlefield. Why? Because the formula is all wrong. You see? And they suffered defeat. They take casualties. You see? Ichabod, the glory has left. And so many times Christians, oh, I don't study the Old Testament because it's too too much judgment, too much judgment, too much wrath, too much wrath. And so I just stick with the New Testament. But Paul says the Old Testament is written for us. It's written for our admonition. It's written for our warning so that we can understand how the Lord works. The nature and character of our Lord. You see? And so the demonic realm, you see this demon who says to Jesus, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth, here in verse 24? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him, exclamation point. Remember what Brother Jude told us where even Michael the archangel didn't dare bring an accusation against Satan. Now, granted, that's Satan and not a demon, but we see an aspect of the demonic realm that are very exact and very precise. But Jesus, he just straight up says, be quiet and come out of him. Remember, Jesus doesn't just teach with authority he is the authority and the demons know they know exactly who he is and jesus rebuked the demon and he says be quiet and come out of him and verse 26 and when the unclean unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice he came out of him i meant today Today you see churches engaging in what they call holy laughter. That's what they call it, holy laughter. And you see it among the charismatics. And you see exactly what it is what what is described here in verse 26, what is described of demons. People cry out, they go to church, they call it holy laughter. You see it in the charismatic movement. And they call it holy laughter. People convulse. You see them, you know, wiggling around on the floor. They call it holy laughter. You see them convulsing on the floor. But what you don't see are demons leaving a person. This is inside the church. You see demonic possession. Not oppression only. Straight up possession. It's happening. Where in the world are the qualified overseers? 
Where in the world are the pastors? Look what happens here in verse 27. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Notice, demons don't obey the teachings of Jesus. You won't see demons behave in righteousness, but demons do obey the commands of Jesus. It's very important to understand. I mean, they'll they'll use an assumed righteousness as a cloak. But when you understand formula, you know that assumed righteousness isn't really righteousness at all. And I'll give you an example. Look at a Catholic cardinal. And many people would attribute it, you know, look at a Catholic cardinal and many people would attribute the assumed righteousness by what the eye can see. But when you understand the formula, you only see what is blasphemous according to the truth of Holy Scripture. You see? These are the very things that Brother Paul was afraid of when Paul explained and described his phobia, his fear. It wasn't for him, you know, it wasn't for his sake, it was for the sake of the believer. He says, I'm afraid for you guys. I'm afraid for you guys because the preacher guys, they're going to come in with another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. And he says, I'm afraid. He's not afraid for himself. But he says, I'm afraid for you because when these preacher guys are going to come, he says, you're going to put up with it. You're going to take them in. You're going to receive what they say. You're going to receive what they teach. And Paul says, I'm afraid for you guys. You see? Very important to understand that Satan has his ministers and they present themselves as ministers of righteousness, but they use that as a cloak because they come in with deception. They come in to deceive. They come in to enslave and bring into bondage. And they're very effective. Very effective. I mean, it's one of the reasons why there is the prophesied apostasy of the last days what does that say of the overseers of the last days many defunct who have no business at the pulpit you see and so the demons here in mark chapter 1 we see in verse 26 the demon leaves the man and the people are astonished they're amazed You know, with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And in verse 28, and immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Keep in mind, this hasn't been seen before. I mean, we're not in the church age yet. You know, that's later in the book of Acts. But people are just straight up amazed. What is happening? What is this? And so his fame, the fame of Jesus, starts to spread throughout all the region around Galilee. And then in verse 29. Now as soon as they had come out out of the synagogue, 
They entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. So brother Peter was married. Remember, Simon is Peter. He was married and his mother-in-law, she has the sickies. She's got a fever. And we see in verse 30, she had that uh, Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she served them. It's so beautiful what we see happening because you see healing and people becoming free from unclean spirits and demonic possession. And we do see miracles happen in the Gospels and in the early church. And there's never an expiration date in the Bible. Even though people say that these things were for another dispensation of time. This is only for the book of Acts era. That's what they say. And it's largely among the Calvinist and Reformed sects. And what's happened is that these are people who have quenched and extinguished the Holy Spirit. You see, where there is an expiration date with them, and that's provided they ever had the spirit to begin with. Don't forget, don't forget, there were a group of believers baptized into Jesus who did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in the book of Acts chapter 8. And those in the Calvinist and Reformed camp, what they believe and what they teach is that the Holy Spirit makes a person believe. But in Acts chapter 8, we see believers baptized into Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You see? And if you're listening and you're presently Calvinist or Reformed, I say unto you, repent. Repent and come out of her, my people. Be among those sects no more because it's unbiblical doctrine. Understand that to believe for miracles, that's not good. That's not good. You know, I won't believe in Jesus unless I see a sign, unless I see a miracle. Listen, that's not good. The Bible says it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks after a sign. But, but, once we're in the camp of Christ and abiding in Christ and walking with him and growing in him, understand, miracles do happen. Healing does happen. Unclean spirits flee. Demons flee. But the formula has to be right. The formula has to be right. In you and me, the formula has to be right. Very important to understand. In verse 32, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, something new is happening. Something new is happening, presumably new, because it isn't new. I mean, it's been prophesied. It's been prophesied. The prophets and the righteous desire to th see these things happen. That's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 17. They desire to see these things. The authority of Jesus is being shown. You say, wait a second. 
wait a second. You said it's not good to seek miracles, but now you say the people here, they're seeking after miracles? And sometimes I have these conversations with new believers and like, wait a second, wait a second. You just said this and how could it be of this? And so if that's you and you're listening and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just said it's not good to seek miracles. And here the people, they want it. They're seeking miracles. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind. We're at the early part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. We're at the early part. What we're going to see happen is that multitudes start to follow him. But in the course of time, it's only a remnant that stays with him. You see, remember John chapter six, where there's 5,000 plus in John chapter six, you, you count the numbers. You look at the beginning, you look at the end and everything in between. In just one chapter, John chapter six, 5,000 plus at the beginning are with Jesus. And then Jesus calls them out. You follow me because your bellies are full. But you don't like what I teach. You're only following me because you like the goodies. Your bellies are nice and full. You see, miracles do have an attraction. There's no denying that. Miracles do have an attraction. But when Jesus calls them out, they start to leave him. And at the end of John chapter 6, who remains? Only a remnant. You see? And in verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Just what we see here. In our Lord, in our Savior, in our Master, in our King, in our everything. Look, he wakes up in the morning, long before daylight. He goes to his solitary place and he prays. In verse 36, And Simon and those who were, who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, in verse 37, When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. You see, something is happening. Something is happening, something beautiful. The message of the good news, it's going forth. It's beginning to spread, not just in one town, but from town to town to town to town. Something is happening. And the message of the good news still spreads today from town to town to town to town. I know young believers, young believers, younger than 10 years old, who plant seeds from town to town to town to town to town. Praise be to the Lord. Verse 39. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Very interesting to see where Jesus goes first. Because he absolutely goes to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the forgotten man and the forgotten woman, so to speak. He absolutely does. But he went to the synagogues. And in those houses of worship, we see unclean spirits and demons. They're found there. They're found everywhere, actually. But people think, you know, all the demons are with the prostitutes. The demons are with the druggies and the alcoholics. 
And to a certain level, to a certain degree, I could agree with that. But no one likes to look closer to home. No one likes to look at the church. No one likes to look under their own roof. We have to be wise. We have to be wise. Because when you understand formula, you know what to look for in a pastor. And remember, you know, the, the pastoral epistles are studying, you know, uh, the, 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 the Timothys and the Tituses and, well, not the Tituses, but the Timothys and the Titus and the Philemon. Remember? The home is open to scrutiny of the overseer, of the pastors, and of the elders. The home is open to scrutiny. So you have a pastor. You have a pastor. You have an elder, and his wife is on the psychotropics. The daughter does the Ouija boards and talks to demons. Demons are in his own home. What do you think that church is going to look like? What do you think that church is going to look like when the demons are in the pastor's home? You see? Can we submit to such a pastor? The answer is no. We cannot submit to that pastor. You say, wait a second, the Bible says to submit to the pastor 100%. The right pastor. You see? Formula. We have to be wise. Very important. We have to be wise. I mean, look at the defunct in the era of Samuel. In the judges' era. When there's no widespread revelation. When everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. And you see, they have the priesthood. They have the Levites. They have the Kohanim. And just like we studied in, on Wednesday, in our Wednesday study, it just so happens. And not to, not to neglect the importance and the, the beauty of little Samuel. But there was a priesthood in place. But when the priesthood becomes defunct, who is it that the Lord raises up? The Samuels. And don't forget Hannah. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah. She honors the Lord. The Lord honored her. You see, intimacy. Once barren and now she has a son. And little Samuel grows up. You see? The priesthood, they want to be defunct. You know, Eli made his choice. Okay, the Lord responds. Hophni, Phineas, they make their choice. Okay, the Lord responds. Now look, they're dead. Remember our study in 1 Samuel chapter 4? You see, God is not mocked. And when the priesthood becomes defunct, who is it that the Lord raises up? Who is it that the Lord raises up? You see, little Samuel. And in these last days, as churches become defunct, as pastors become defunct, who is it that the Lord raises up? You see? 
It's those who honor him, who love him, who worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, we have to be wise because the last days aren't coming. The last days are here. And we see in verse 40, now a leper came to him. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible, the entire Bible. Now, I have a lot of favorite parts, but this one, this one is beautiful. The leper comes to Jesus, a leper. Now, according to the law, unclean. This is a leper, unclean according to the law. And no one would approach such a person because of uncleanness. I mean, to give you an example, if I were a leper in the Old Testament days, I would be number one, I would be outside the camp. I would be separated from those on the inside, ostracized from those on the inside. And if you happened to come near me, you know, I'd have to scream out, you know, unclean. I would have a covering and I'd scream out unclean, unclean, so that you would know, don't come near this guy. And that's according to the law. So here, a leper comes to Jesus. In verse 40, a leper came to him, imploring him kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, look what has happened in the acts of this leper. Because according to the law of Moses, according to the law of Moses, the leper would shout, unclean, unclean. The very thing that the Lord showed Moses at the burning bush, unclean and clean using leprosy. That's from Exodus chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 7. And this leper here in Mark chapter 1 doesn't follow Moses. You see, he does not follow Moses. Instead, he falls to his knees. That's how it translates. I mean, he says imploring him, kneeling, kneeling down to him. But how it translates is that he falls to his knees. You see what's happening? He doesn't follow Moses. He doesn't shout out unclean, unclean. No, he leaves Moses and he falls to his knees to Jesus. That's huge. That's huge. And look at this leper's faith. To do that is already huge. I mean, to leave Moses and fall to the knee, fall to his knees at, at Jesus, that's already a big deal. But then you look at his faith because he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, he takes notice of faith. This is a huge deal, what is happening with this leper. A huge deal. Because he's leaving Moses and kneeling to Jesus. And in verse 41, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. I mean, according to the law, for a person to touch a leper, that makes him unclean. That's according to the law. But we see something new here. We see something new. Because in verse 42, 
as soon as he had spoken. Remember, he stretched out his hand and touched him. But as soon as he had spoken, 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 as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. You see, what's happening is there's an an inability, inability of the law. It's on display, but it's only to those with eyes to see. It's something that we studied in the book of Hebrews. An inability of the law. In verse 43, look what happens. And he strictly warned him, the Lord strictly warned the former leper. He strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. You say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, hold on. And you say, hold on. You said the inability of the law is on full display, but Jesus tells him to say nothing. Well, hold on a second. Jesus does tell him to say nothing to anyone, but he says here, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded. Now this, what's happening here? It begs the question, Why is Jesus advocating the law of Moses and the offering commanded by Moses? Why is Jesus doing that? I'll give you the answer. The Lamb of God hasn't yet been sacrificed. Remember, Jesus, he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. And the prophets, don't forget, and the prophets, that's a big deal. The law, the law was and is a tutor to bring to Christ. Very important to understand. And presently, in this particular Mark chapter 1 era, the Lamb of God hasn't yet been sacrificed, but there's more. Jesus tells this former leper that he healed. Jesus tells him to offer for his cleansing and go to the priesthood. Notice, because he says, go your way, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You see? As a testimony, as a marturion in the Greek It's a testimony, it's a witness, and it's something presented as evidence. Jesus is telling him to show the priesthood that cleansing, it's in Jesus. You see? In verse 45, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the matter. Remember, Jesus told him, see that you say nothing to anyone. That's in verse 44. And this has an impact to Jesus now. And we see how he goes out and he spreads the matter. But then it says here in verse 45, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. 
what's happening is that people are starting to notice. People are starting to notice, and maybe not starting to notice, but like, you know, it's, it's starting to amplify. Something new is happening. Something new is happening. A new covenant is moving closer and closer and closer to fulfillment. A new covenant. The teachings have already begun here in Mark chapter 1. The teachings have begun. But when I say moving closer to fulfillment, I speak of his death. Turn really quick to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. Turn really quick to Hebrews chapter 9. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, speaking of Jesus, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. You see, that's the first covenant, the law of Moses. That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. You see, very important to understand what is happening. On this resurrection day, yes, our Lord died. But he is risen. He is risen. The first fruits of the resurrection. His tomb is empty. And for believers, what's going to happen one beautiful and glorious day is that our tombs will be empty as well. At the resurrection. And I speak of the rapture. As surely as the Lord lives, it will come to pass. I mean, looking at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, it says that there is a promise of eternal inheritance, but it also says it's for those who are called. It's for those who are called. And sometimes people wonder, am I called? And that might be you. Not a believer presently, but yet the gears of faith are starting to turn. And maybe you are wondering, am I called? And I'll give you a very, very simple answer to the question, are you called? I'll give you the answer. Very simple. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Because it's ringing. Straight up, it's ringing. In the Old Testament, the Lord says, I called, but no one answered. And if you're not a believer right now, the phone is ringing. And you have a choice to make. And if you do want to answer the call, after this message, which we're concluding, after this message, listen to another it's called how to commit your life to Jesus. And you follow those instructions and commit your life to Jesus. Let today be your day of salvation. 
to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.